1: Hello and welcome to another episode of the 94 Feet Report NBA Podcast. I am your host, as always, Eric Sparopoulos. You can follow me on Twitter, at Eric Spiros. You can follow our website, at on twitter at the 94 feet report we launched our website on july 1st you can find it at 94 feet we've got a lot of free agency uh reaction and great articles we're running we're currently running a team off-season review series so um it's hashtag 30 teams 30 days so each day a new teams off-season review article is posted so check out our website for that we got a great team we're actually expanding um if you want to apply to join our website you can do so by emailing uh, 94feetreport at gmail.com or you can just follow it, find it on our Twitter or my personal Twitter um, Today's episode of the podcast will be a kind of off-season review uh, We'll touch mo- mainly on free agency and we'll also touch a little bit on Summer League. We'll be joined by Alex West, the host of the And One podcast who's which is also affiliated with the 94 Feet Report. Um, we've had him on the show before for one of our uh, Fresh 15 free agency uh, recap podcast episodes, so uh, it's always great to have Alex on really great guests we talk mainly about free agency the big signings the trades winners and losers touch a little bit upon summer league um, so stay tuned for that conversation with alex and then follow us on twitter at the Ninety Four Feet report you can follow me on twitter at eric spiros we are now joined by alex west host of the and one podcast which is also affiliated on the 94 Feet report alex how are you doing today
0: good eric how are you
1: Doing pretty well. It's been a uh, quite a while since our last episode of the '94 Report NBA podcast. We've got a lot to talk about, considering the fact that I decided to do an entire off-season review uh, podcast, which includes a lot of things because this is one hell of a crazy off-season. Um, yeah,
0: this is the craziest off-season I can remember, most definitely.
1: And especially because the first thing that we're going to talk about are the trades that happen, and these trades two of them actually happened before free agency technically started one happened basically midnight july 1st um but there are three huge trades that basically all went to the western conference so they made the western conference a bloodbath but it it really all did change a lot um in the nba landscape let's start off with i think one of the most interesting trades and and probably one of the best trades in terms of you know the fairness of the trade itself, CP3 is now a Houston Rocket, which still sounds very weird to say. Um, You know, my initial thoughts on this trade are, you know, as I mentioned, it's probably the fairest trade of the the three by far because the Clips actually got a pretty good return for a guy who was going to leave anyways. And it's nice of Chris Paul to kind of decide that he wants to go to the Rockets he tells them and they can get a trade done um, because the Clippers did get Patrick Beverly Lou Williams Sam Decker and Montrez Harrell they also got a first round pick but they ultimately traded that away in the sign and trade for Danilo Gallinari but those are four you know in my opinion four rotational pieces it makes the Clippers a lot deeper you know their bench has been something that's killed them over the past couple of years basically for the entire CP3 run um and then obviously the Rockets get CP3 so you know when you look at the other trades, this one looks like a very fair deal overall. Um, and it, I think it really kind of puts together one of the most interesting superstar pairings I can remember in recent history in James Harden and Chris Paul. Um, so what are your thoughts on the trade and how this moves forward for both teams?
0: I know that Daryl Morey doesn't need my affirmation with this trade, but that's one of the things that I I, re, I was really impressed with the The nuts and bolts of this trade, to be able to do it with non-guaranteed contracts, to be able to pull together pieces that weren't necessarily on the roster, and to be able to put together such a quality trade package to land Chris Paul in a very short time, and sort of up against it with uh, free agency coming up, was a very impressive thing to do. So the nuts and bolts of it are pretty impressive to me, but the basketball fit, I'm still, Jury's still a little bit out on it. You, uh... You never turn down wanting quality players, particularly guys who can handle the ball and can get buckets late in games. You never want to turn that down. But the switch over from James Harden playing the two guard primarily two years ago to play in the one uh, last year was wildly successful under Mike D'Antoni. And so to bring Chris Paul in, and you know I always say that you always trade four quarters for a dollar. In this instance, you always trade three quarters for a dollar. But. Uh, it, to bring in a player who plays essentially the best or the same position as your best player is sort of strange to me and so i think there's going to be a, a lot of a learning curve for dan Toney, for chris paul for james harden uh but you know you, this is something you always do you always pull the trigger on a deal like this
1: yeah and and the thing the important thing about this probably the most important thing with this trade and potentially you know a trade for carmel anthony which seems to happen which seems the most likely to happen before the season starts but that's something we can't really talk about yet but um the the most important thing in in situations and pairings like this is is the two players specifically buying into changing their roles in in hopes of winning and chris paul um almost immediately after the trade happened it uh i think it was mark spears who reported that chris paul's you know, one of the reasons he decided to join Harden was because he was actually intrigued by playing more off-ball. Um, and Harden, you know, in, in recent interviews and, and, and press conferences, has said that you know it would be nice to just run the floor and get some open catch-and-shoot looks. Well, it's nice to talk that game, but you know, we how many times have we seen players say, "Oh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna be so willing to change my game," and then they don't like it initially and then it all falls apart and you know this this better work out for the Rockets because Chris Paul can be and will be a free agent next year if he doesn't sign an extension And, and if things don't work out he's gonna leave and then the Rockets lost all this depth for basically nothing um so, you know, the most important thing is that those both players buy in, and if they do buy in, I mean, I think that, you know, with Mike D'Antoni as head coach, um, the the combination and the, the possibilities are endless offensively, because they've, you know, for now, they still got elite shooters in Eric Gordon, Ryan Anderson there, Trevor Ariza is still there, Clint Capella, I think, is the perfect center for this Rockets team. Um, so, obviously, both Players have to buy in, and if this is going to work, and obviously, as you said, it kind of the jury's still out on if they will do that, and especially if they were to add, you know, a guy like Carmelo Anthony, that changes things even more drastically.
0: Houston's one of those teams that they're they're very willing to. Daryl Daryl Morey has ex- displayed it many times over the years that they're very willing to go all in on a hand, and that's what they did here. They went all in on a hand, and yeah, there's a little bit of an emergency parachute built in in that. If it doesn't go well by the trade deadline, they can turn around and deal Paul and get back probably some quality assets. Even though he is a free agent, there's still something to be regained. Uh, but they've sort of put a lot of their chips on the table here, and adding Carmelo Anthony is just essentially doubling down on that. Is uh, you, you trade, you sacrifice depth, you sacrifice youth uh, to put together a team full of, of you know these high quality players and Chris Paul, James Harden, and Carmelo Anthony. And I think that's what they've done here. And I think that that's something that they've systematically shown that they'll do any time because of the valuation of superstars are a commodity in this league and and gaining that kind of commodity is not something you can do all the time so Daryl Morey does it whenever he can
1: yeah and that's the thing you have to appreciate with Morey he is never willing to just you know, take a step back. He's the pretty much the opposite of Danny Ainge. Like when he has assets, he uses them almost all the time. He doesn't just you know hoard them for, in hopes of uh, you know trying to swing a deal. He always goes after it, and you know sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work, and that's probably the most interesting thing, and that's what that's what makes the Rockets one of the most interesting teams in the NBA um, every year. There's never really a dull year, or there's never a dull offseason or trade deadline uh, for the Houston Rockets and their fans. But uh, the Rockets did also make other moves, which we'll get to in later in this this episode We want to focus on the big trades first. Um, but the Rockets did end up, you know, I think rebuilding their bench in a very good way, especially in a better way probably than last year. But we'll get to that a little bit later. And we'll turn to our second big trade that happened. This one happened basically right as free agency was starting. No one expected this to get this wash bomb. You know, people were expecting signings, um, but they weren't expecting this trade. Paul George is now in Oklahoma City, and Oklahoma City, in my opinion, just fleeced the, the Pacers. They got him for Victor Oladipo and Devonis Sabonis. And, you know, I, I just can't believe that this was the trade that the Pacers ultimately accepted. Obviously, there were rumors after the trade happened that they had a three-team deal with the Cavs and Nuggets. And the Cavs, I think a couple days ago, it was rumored that the Cavs were so close to, to acquiring George. Um, and ultimately, this is the deal that gets Paul George to Oklahoma City. Um And I really like this trade. Obviously, of course, if you can get a top player, now people's opinions on Paul George are varying. Some people think he's a superstar. Some people think he's just a star. Some people think he's overrated. Some people think he's underrated. But I think he's just the ideal fit for, you know, I guess I would put a star. The ideal star to fit next to Westbrook. Um, And I think that Alongside Westbrook, he can have somewhat of a decreased offensive role in terms of ball handling and creating for others, which could allow him to save some energy to return to that elite defensive level we saw the past couple of seasons. You know, his defense has fallen a little bit, but he's had such a big offensive role in Indiana that maybe he can return to that level. and I think he's such a good off-ball fit that it won't force Westbrook to change his game that much. Obviously, Westbrook will have to change and adapt. And both of them could be free agents next year. So if it doesn't work out, kind of like the Houston thing, they could both leave, or George could leave, or um, so that also kind of puts some pressure on OKC. But you know, what are your thoughts on on Paul George to OKC?
0: This is one of the more compelling uh, storylines for me because George presents such an interesting fit. Uh, He's a guy who can guard multiple positions. He's a guy who can create his own shot. And he's a guy who got probably quote-unquote overused in Indiana uh, because they needed that kind of production for him. So it'll be interesting to see him slide into a secondary role uh, in Oklahoma City. And I think it's something that he's well suited for. He's not a tremendous catch and shoot player, but he can certainly do that. And uh, he's a, definitely a, a quality rim runner. Um, so that's that's probably the most interesting basketball fit for me. The the, the other thing about this trade that I really enjoy uh, is is for the the uh, the Thunder is. Getting rid of Victor Oladipo, who was on a big contract, and getting rid of Demonis Sabonis, uh, this was essentially a glorified cash down for them. Mm -hmm. Uh, They needed to get rid of some contracts. They needed to get rid of some longer term deals. And what they did was they turned... Uh, Victor Oladipo and Simonis into an expiring deal. And that expiring deal happens to be attached to an all-star. But it, it frees them up to move forward in, with more flexibility than what they had. Uh, and and Sam Presti probably learned his lesson. I mean, we, we all well know. It's well documented. And and there's been a great wailing and gnashing of teeth about the hardened trade. and yeah. And how that sort of was the undoing of the Oklahoma City dynasty that never was. But I think that kind of flexibility... Uh, is showing that that Sam Presti has learned from what happened there uh, because now he can make a run at Paul George. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Um, But then he turns around and he has a lot of cap space to chase another star or to put a big offer sheet in front of Russell Westbrook. So there's flexibility. Even if they end up losing both guys, they're not going to be in a terrible position going forward in terms of what their cap is
1: yeah and that's probably one of the, my favorite parts about this trade is that the Thunder in this trade alone actually saved money and got obviously the better player um, just a fascinating situation now for OKC I mean if it works then maybe both could re-sign and they could have some success I don't think, I don't think they're going to challenge the Warriors but they could make the conference finals theoretically and we'll talk about uh, later on in the podcast there other moves that they made that I really liked um, but if they if it works both could sign and stay and they could have a nice duo for the next couple of years if it doesn't work Both could leave. George seems more likely to leave with all those rumors about L.A., but he could certainly. He does have a year basically to recruit Westbrook if it doesn't work. Um, So both could leave and they had a lot of cap space. Maybe Westbrook stays and George leaves and they still have some financial flexibility. So... You know, In terms of basketball fit, I love it. In terms of future finances, I love it. Um, even finances for this year they were able to use to get um, some other role players that we'll talk about in a little bit. But another great trade. And uh, the third trade we're talking about, again, another Western Conference team getting stacked and, and joining the quote-unquote arms race um, to challenge the Warriors. Jimmy Butler to the Timberwolves. I think this is another fleecing, kind of like the Paul George one. Um, ultimately, the Wolves sent Zach Levine, Chris Dunn, and the seventh pick to the Bulls. They got Jimmy Butler, and they somehow managed to also get the 16th pick, um, which I still find, you know, incredible. How the Bulls were still trading that, even though they were still getting fleeced originally. I think it's going to be interesting to see how Jimmy Butler and Andrew Wiggins mesh, um, especially with you know their other offseason moving moves and signings. That they have limited shooting. Um, in the Timberwolves, you know, starting lineup and the team pretty much overall. Um, And obviously in today's NBA, shooting can really stagnate or handicap an offense. Um, So I'm interested to see how that meshes. And, and, you know, we can talk about this trade in addition to the other signings that they made because they did—this trade was not the only move that the Wolves made this year, and they're really hoping to make a huge jump in the Western Conference. I think they won 31 games last year, so they've got, you know, a ways to go, but they have made so many moves that they could, you know— people are definitely expecting them to make the playoffs so what were your thoughts on this trade um in terms of the wolves getting jimmy butler
0: you hit the nail on the head with this one this is such a mixed bag for me because on the one hand you you know going after trading zach levine and chris dunn and, and lowry mark and then turning it into jimmy butler's fantastic that's what you do all the time yeah. however it puts you in a position where you're probably your best three-point shooter is carl anthony towns <laughs> and if anything the league has shown that Having the flexibility to have big men shoot or, or having several shooters on the floor is probably the way that you want to play the game. In, in fact, so much so that you don't see a lot of lineups where there's more than one guy who's not a proficient three point shooter, you know, uh, because defenses can sag off of him and start to create problems. The, the Celtics went through this with when they played Marcus Smart and Jay Crowder at the same time. And, and both of those guys are pretty good shooters, but it allowed uh, LeBron to guard Marcus Smart in the Eastern Conference Finals and sort of sag off of him, which created a lot of problems. And so I kind of think that's what's going on here. When you have a lineup of Jeff Teague, uh, Andrew Wiggins, Carl Anthony Towns, Jimmy Butler, you don't have as much spacing as you'd like to to maximize what those guys can do. Now, on the other side of it, I think it's a god-awful trade for the Bulls. Mm -hmm. Throwing in 16 just blew me away because – and we'll talk about the Bulls, but there's just so many things about this, Uh, not taking Dennis Smith, uh, not hanging on to sixteen, selling thirty eight. The Bulls' off season has just been a disaster, and so I think nobody's happier about getting out of there than Jimmy Butler is.
1: Yeah, and and the thing with the Bulls, and the thing with any of these trades, especially talking about both Paul George and Jimmy Butler trades, is you have to kind of, if you put your yourself in the the shoes of the, the those teams' front office, the Pacers' front office, and the Bulls' front office, those are teams and front offices that I you know overvalued players. You know, according to the rest of the you know NBA fans, like I'm I'm sure the Pacers overvalued Oladipo and Sabonis. The Bulls, we know, have been in love with Chris Dunn, and you know he was bad in his first year, and people don't really see him getting a lot better because he's already, I think, 23. Um, So you know, in that in that perspective, you can almost see why the Bulls think they got a decent deal by saying, "Oh, we got our man, Chris Dunn, finally." Or the Pacers saying, "Oh, we got Oladipo from Indiana and Sabonis, who has great potential." But meanwhile, almost the majority of other fans, front offices, and analysts think that they're crazy for these for valuing those players so that's why some of these teams like you know we laugh at them getting fleeced but you know probably their front offices are thinking that they got a pretty decent deal i mean considering how they overvalue these kind of young players
0: i, I sort of put these in two different boats uh chicago i feel like there's a lot going on and, and the fans will sort of back this up did you see that they bought a billboard that said fire gar packs in yeah chicago this week yeah uh So I kind of think that's what's going on with Chicago is there's a little bit of incompetency running the organization. In Indiana, I think it's a little bit different uh, because I don't think that Kevin Pritchard and the Pacers wanted to deal in the Eastern Conference. Mm -hmm. And they also didn't want him to end up on the Lakers. So that sort of shot down two of their biggest deals because you know that Boston could have trumped that trade package. You know that L.A. could have trumped that trade package. But I feel like there was a little bit of spite They didn't want to have to face Paul George three or four times in the regular season. And then also they didn't want him to end up where he said he wanted to be. So I feel like that's sort of what happened with that Indiana trade.
1: Yeah, I I guess I could totally see that too. But I mean... In the end, if you're going to be a good front office and you're going to set your team up for future success, you've got to take the best package. I mean, obviously the Celtics could have beaten that package, and we still don't know exactly what they offered. There were a lot of rumors that they offered a really big deal at the trade deadline, um, and then they, you know, kind of took some of those assets away in a, in a potential trade offer during the offseason. season, but. In the end, if the Celtics gave you a better package, I know you don't want to face them three to four times a year, but you're going to be bad anyways, and you might as well get more assets for the future. I mean, I get why they sh- they probably were thinking that way, but in my opinion, I would not think that way if I had a star and I was going to trade him away.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree with you. You want to get the best the best possible pieces, and, and adding some combination of Jay Crowder on a reasonable contract, Marcus Smart, maybe the third pick, which probably still ends up being Jason Tatum. I mean, there's a lot of... A lot more pieces available, um, but I definitely see uh, on the on the by the same token that nobody wants to uh, get, be the be the one who gets fleeced by Danny Ainge again. And so uh, I, there's a lot of for the Celtics. It's sort of fraught with peril anytime they deal for a superstar or deal with other teams in general, because Danny Ainge has built such a reputation as a high quality trader.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Speaking of Danny Ainge, let's move on to free agency signings. So we're past our major trades uh, segment, and we had, some, we had a couple of big free agency signings in terms of teams joining new teams. Um, let's start with Danny Ainge and the Celtics. They were able to sign Gordon Hayward, and I always thought that it was going to come down to the Celtics and the Jazz. I didn't really ever think that Miami was going to be a real player for Hayward. And I always leaned Boston just because I could totally see him there with, of course, Brad Stevens there, that kind of Butler connection. So I almost I almost saw this coming. Now, the way it happened was ugly and messy on July 4th and, and you know, really annoying for a lot of fans and, and really kind of emotionally killing for uh, Jazz fans. Um, but in the end, Gordon Hayward is now a Celtic. The Celtics did have to lose Avery Bradley and Kelly Olenek you know, in order to create space for uh, Hayward, but they were still able to get Marcus Morris for Avery Bradley in that very interesting trade with the Pistons that we can talk about a little bit. Um, so, I guess your, my question is, you know, your thoughts on the signing and and the you know the moves that had to be made afterwards in order to sign Hayward, and then kind of how much closer do you think this puts them with the Cavs?
0: So, the 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 acquiring. Gordon Hayward is a, is a very good move. I mean, you sign an All-Star, you do lose Avery Bradley, who's essentially probably your third-best player, um, and you lose Kelly Olenek, who was sort of... His value was sort of overinflated. As somebody who watched a lot of Celtics games yeah. last year, Olenick was not a great rebounder. He was a guy who was, who was streaky. He could score sometimes, but I don't really feel bad as a Celtics fan letting Olenek walk it does feel sort of hurtful to let Avery Bradley walk, just because he was the last player who played with the big three. (laughs) Uh, So a lot of Celtic tradition there. But, uh, from a basketball point of view, Adam Gordon Hayward is such a huge boon for the Celtics, because he allows them to do something they couldn't do last year, which is run offenses without Isaiah Thomas. Mm -hmm. The Celtics had so much trouble moving the ball and finding open shooters and just having offensive flow when Isaiah Thomas wasn't on the floor. And adding Gordon Hayward as somebody who can be your primary creator allows them to do that. So you have, essentially, you've added a second scorer and you've added a second ball handler. So to me, this is a home run deal. Uh, Losing Bradley Hurts on the defensive end, they also have Marcus Smart, and Marcus Smart can do something that Avery Bradley can't do, in that he can guard bigger forwards. Bradley was sort of limited defensively. He guarded, he was very good at guarding ones and twos and threes, but then when he could stretch into the fours, that's when he started to get overpowered. And Marcus Smart can do that, and he's on a much more reasonable contract, and he's not—he's probably not going to command the market value that Bradley's going to command. So I think all around, like this is something you do uh, ten times out of ten to get this kind of player. And I think the Celtics are probably a little bit better suited to battle the Cavaliers. Now, I'm, I'm not willing to say that they're they're over the hump, but I definitely see this being a 56-57 win team in a, a week into Eastern Conference and, and probably another Eastern Conference Finals run.
1: Yeah, I can totally see it. Right now, I mean, things could change, but right now I think if they were to play – like the same Eastern Conference final series against the Cavs, I could see it going maybe like six games, maybe seven, depending on some you know weird circumstances. But you did point out some interesting things. Um, you know, for the Celtics, this team had a lot of interesting contract situations so avery bradley will be unrestricted next year and marcus smart will be restricted so that's why the celtics you know they can con- they can somewhat control the marcus smart free agency um, they can kind of scare teams off from offering him a sheet but they could not do anything to control avery bradley's free agency and they still got isaiah thomas to pay next year too um and obviously jay, Cra- jay crowder is on one of if not the best contracts in the nba for the next couple of years so them kind of thinking about the future finances also played a role probably in them trading bradley and they get marcus morris who's still a competent player by nowhere by no means is anywhere close to the defender that bradley is but he can certainly help out and they've got so many forwards i mean they have so many wings now if you think about it you've got you've got hayward tatum uh Jaylen brown marcus morris i mean there are so many wings that can just interchange from small forward and power forward um you know, they even added Aaron Baines, which I think is a nice signing for rebounding off the bench. So, you know, as you said, when you can sign a, a, a all-star free agent like Gordon Hayward, probably the best available unrestricted free agent this summer, you got to do it no matter what, especially if, you know, if you can trade Bradley and you still get something back in return for him. So, you know, I don't... And
0: one, one little wrinkle that in there that that sort of gets overlooked is that Marcus Morris is an efficient defender when it comes to guarding LeBron, something that the Celtics are going to be centered on. And I think that's something that people have sort of overlooked in all this, is that Marcus Morris does a pretty decent job guarding LeBron, which gives the Celtics three or four guys that they can throw at him in a seven-game series.
1: Yeah, just like just like in the Western Conference, I think in the Eastern Conference, at least the top two to three teams, like the Celtics and the Wizards and Raptors, make moves thinking about the Cavs. Just like in the West, all those top you know three or four teams besides the Warriors just make moves based on how they're going to match up with Golden State, and rightly so because those are two obviously the two best teams in the NBA. They made the past three finals and probably will make the next you know f- another final or two. But let's go back to the Western Conference because another Western Conference team added a significant piece is the Nuggets signed Paul Millsap, and I I cannot love this signing anymore. Like, I think this is one of the best free agency signings based on fit. Um, I think Millsap is probably the perfect fit alongside both the young guards that the Nuggets have that can shoot and Nikola Jokic, who is one of the most fascinating players to watch, one of the most enjoyable players to watch, in my opinion. Millsap is so incredible defensively. He's incredibly versatile. He's a good veteran presence in the locker room for... You know, very young team. Um, and the Nuggets, I think they missed the playoffs by like half a game or maybe by based on the tiebreaker last year. Um, I would expect them to make the playoffs, make the jump to the playoffs next year along with the Timberwolves. So that could, you know, make things interesting in the playoff race for teams that got worse this summer, which we'll talk about a little bit, a little bit later in this episode. But what are your thoughts on this uh, Paul Millsap signing for the Nuggets?
0: yeah i'm probably not quite as high on it as you are i i i love it you know from a basketball point of view paul Millsap's a guy who can stretch the floor although not as efficiently in the past few years as he was a couple of years ago particularly when he was in utah yeah. uh i do love him from a basketball point of view and i love him from a sort of tempering young steel like he's a veteran he's going to come in he's going to help these young guys grow particularly guys like gary harris uh and Jokic, those are the guys that I think he's going to have the biggest impact on. And I feel like maybe the the biggest impact of Paul Millsap is going to be felt a couple of years out as this ripple starts to settle out when you see these young guys start to grow. Uh, I'm maybe not as high on it for the reason that the Western Conference is loaded. And uh, they went 40-42 they went and 42 last year. Ostensibly, you believe that Paul Millsap probably adds – Four wins to that, which puts them in the 44 win range. But the Western Conference is going to be so, so good. The 44 wins is flirting with the edge of the sevens, eight seed, maybe not even making the playoffs. So it's going to be very hard for me for the Nuggets to move the needle. And while I love it, and while 100% would do the deal, that's probably the biggest holdback for me on this.
1: Yeah, and you know, I think, oh, they also, I mean, it is, not, it is somewhat notable to, to Point out that they did lose Gallinari, but um, they were fine with that as well. But um, you know, I think in terms of looking at the Nuggets in terms of where they could stand in the playoff race next year, it's important to kind of note that they got better. I mean, they got significantly better. I'd say I think that losing Gallinari in in change of uh, in exchange of getting Paul Millsap is is a significant upgrade. I know they play somewhat different positions, but um, you have to kind of look at like the other Western Conference teams, like the Blazers and the Grizzlies, who kind of I think got you know the Grizzlies. You could argue stay the same, but I think that they ultimately got worse, and the Blazers didn't make any moves, so the Blazers barely beat the Nuggets last year. I think the Nuggets got better, so there could be some just like jumping them in terms of fitting in the playoffs, but also if you kind of think about what kind of progressions will guys like Gary Harris and Jokic make, I mean... Jokic didn't even start, you know, the majority of all those games last year. I think the first two months they were, you know, Mike Malone was stuck between deciding between Nurkic and Jokic, and that was pretty ugly. And then they finally decided on Jokic, and then he kind of exploded. Um, If they can start off the season with that, their perfect starting five with Millsap there, they can get off to a better start than last season. Um, So I think that, you know, obviously it's too early. It's only July 21st, but uh, um, it's very interesting to see which teams will fall out of the playoff race to fit in teams like the Nuggets and um, the Timberwolves.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think uh, you probably hit that on the head that Portland and Minnesota are the, the guys that you would immediately tag for being worse. My problem with Denver right now is they don't have a point guard. They're still working with Moutier that, you know, Jamal Murray's not quite where they want him to be and that he's probably not a full-time point guard. Uh, I, I think they have a lot of work to do between now and the regular season, maybe even add another player. Uh, but I, I do think you're probably right. Like now that I think about it and hear you say it, yeah, yeah, there are probably two or three teams that got worse, and that'll give the Nuggets a chance to get in because they went 40 and 42, and I think Portland went 41 and 41. So it's not, you're talking about a half step to get into the playoffs. And they, Paul Millsap is definitely worth more than a half. step.
1: yeah, that's why I think that the Nuggets will, you know, I would comfortably pick the Nuggets to make the playoffs, but again, really, really uh, early to do that. Um, so, you know, we we talked about the big trades, we talked about the big signings, but there are also a lot of smaller free agency signings that I really liked, and you know, could actually end up making the difference. You know, it would be you know these small role players could decide a couple of regular season games, which especially in the Western Conference could do a whole lot in terms of changing the standings. I mean, I could see it next year where the the two seed and and the fifth seed are like one game apart, with everyone else being decided by tiebreakers. That's how close some of these teams are. Um, so I'm going to start off with the Rockets because I think that they're. Their depth signings were one really important, but two really significant in terms of building a, a team that could challenge in the West and specifically challenge the warriors. So as we mentioned, in the CB3 deal, the Rockets lost a lot of depth, but they were end up they ended up signing P.J Tucker, Luke Maba um, Tariq Black is a third center. They re-signed Nene. Um, obviously, they still got Eric Gordon off the bench. That is a really good bench. But more importantly, they actually have a lot of good defenders now. Um, last year, the Rockets were 18th defensively, which is better than most people expected. But now, I could totally see the Rockets jumping up to like top 12 defensively because they added CB3, a great defender. Tucker's a very good defender. Bamute's a good defender. Um, they still got Trevor Ariza there. Clint is still there. Nene can be a good situational defender. Um, and perhaps more importantly, you've got now... I'd say you got three defenders on the wings that you can throw out throw out a team like Golden State. You've got Ariza, you've got Tucker, and you've got Bamute, and then you have CP3 in the backcourt. Um you know, that's a team that could that's a very good defensive team that also shouldn't sacrifice that much offensively. Obviously, you know, it's going to be tough to play Ariza, Tucker, and Bamute on the court at the same time because you know those three aren't you know very good shooters but when you have a, a great point guard like Chris Paul or James Harden on the floor which they might have at all times if they stagger minutes you know those point guards can create open shots for those you know good to mediocre shooters so i think i just love how the rockets you know built back that depth but got better defensive pieces than last season
0: yeah i mean that's that's the genius of Daryl Morey he's 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 turning these Uh, guys that he traded off his bench into better, guys like P.J. Tucker's fantastic defensively. Uh, Luca Mahamute, I watched the Clippers a good bit last year, and, and I feel like he's probably not quite as impressive on the court as he is on paper. He did not have a great season, and he looked sort of just out of fit, Uh, even with Chris Paul. So I'll be interested to see how they sort of work him into the rotation. I love Tucker, though. That's a fantastic sign. And bringing back Nene on a pretty reasonable deal is pretty good, too. Uh, I think that they're probably about, in the playoffs, they're probably about 8 or 9 deep, which is about where you want to be because you don't want to play too many players in the playoffs. But I definitely think that they probably have one more move and, and and. You know, maybe that move is for Carmelo Anthony, which would sort of change things again for them. But the team, as it's situated right now, if they don't add Carmelo Anthony, they're probably one buyout player short of what they'll be going into the playoffs, I think.
1: Yeah, and the important thing for the Rockets... Is they have to start resting in the regular season? They admitted it when they lost to the Spurs in the second round. They basically said DeAntoni and I think mori and maybe Harden as well basically said that you know we're gonna we're gonna rest more next season. And obviously they got Chris Paul who's I think what thirty one or thirty two, so he he should rest. I mean if you want to have your best Chris Paul for the playoffs, you need to rest him during the regular season. And you know they they still could use another. You know, ball-handling guard, which I think they might be able to get for the, the veterans minimum later this offseason. Um, but having these wings, you know, having Tucker and Bamute can limit the minutes of an Ariza um, to get more rest for him and obviously none of these guys, especially Tucker and Bamute, should be playing extremely heavy minutes, so they should also be rested for the playoffs, but they need to be deep for the regular season in order to have their best eight or nine for the playoffs, which is always important for teams that are trying to make long playoff runs like the Rockets. Um, Let's move to another smaller signing. Again, we're going back to Oklahoma City because I, I really like their signing of Patrick Patterson. Um, Patterson is an underrated... I think he's very underrated. Um, he's developed into a good floor spacing big. Um, he's good defensively. There was that insane stat. I don't remember what it was, but basically when he signed, someone had tweeted how good the Raptor, how good his plus-minus was with the Raptors. Um, I think when, with him on the court, they out, outscored teams by 100, and with him off the court, they were like outscored by like something crazy Um, and you know Patterson will probably start at power forward um, and he can provide spacing um, on the floor especially if they have Andre Roberson starting who they also re-signed for three years 30 million Um, so I'm just a huge fan of the Patrick Patterson signing for Oklahoma City
0: yeah I really am too uh Toronto is one of those teams where they get kind of ball stuck because of DeRozan and Lowry, and he still managed to shoot 37% from three. He was a really efficient player. He was a really high-quality defensive player. Um, And I I think that that is just getting a pickup like that. You want guys who can do two things. They can shoot three-pointers and play defense, and that's exactly what Patrick Patterson does. That's what you look for in a bench guy. So I love the pickup for them. Um, They still have a lot of problems they got to work through, I, I feel like. because Just... Strictly because you can't play Enos Cantor and Steven Adams together, and now adding Patrick Patterson in, that sort of alleviates because he can play with either one of those guys. But I feel like at some point you have to make a decision of, of which guy you want just so you can move on and start to create a more efficient, more smoothed-out lineup. Are
1: you talking about deciding between Cantor and Adams?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, bringing in Patrick Patterson definitely helps, you know, because he is a guy who can stretch the floor, he's a guy who can do a, a little bit of everything, um, but you know, they, they can't play together and, and so that's a like a, a big a weird thing for me for Oklahoma City.
1: Yeah, I can kind of see what you're your point. Um, I also I also kind of see the opposite. I kind of enjoy, I, I mean, if Patterson does start at power four, which I think he should, and I think many others would agree with that, um, you know, having Cantor as that guy when, you know, when teams go to their bench and you bring in a, in a guy like Enos Cantor and maybe the Thunder stagger minutes so. If Westbrook's off the floor, George is there as well. So maybe a George on the floor with Kander as well would, would help. Um, but having a guy like Kander who you can who's really good offensively in the post, having a guy just to throw down there for for those you know against the other opposing bench bigs, I think is really huge. I think Kander would start for a lot of other teams. Obviously, they would be pretty bad defensively if he was a starting center, but offensively, he's one of the best centers or big men, I guess you could say in the league. So I think that having him to throw the ball to in the post for bench possessions when he comes off the bench as a sixth man is really huge for a Thunder team that could use that offensive spurt um, when they go to their bench.
0: But the, uh, sorry to cut you off here, but the, but the way the Western Conference is, I mean, he played nine minutes a game last year in the playoffs. Like, oh, he's, yeah. he's a guy who gets lost defensively. He doesn't bring a ton to the table. He only scored four points a game uh, during the playoffs last year. He feels like one of those guys that you just sort of gets lost in the swirl of the Western Conference, particularly when it comes to these small lineups where you play a lot of forwards, you play a lot of twos and threes. I just don't love Enos Kanter. And so, I mean, I, I disagree with you. I totally acknowledge your point, but I, I, I just – don't see him as a guy I want to build around and that's just my personal
1: opinion oh yeah and, and it, it's it might be at this point already where he really can't play in the playoffs I mean he can be a fine regular season backup big to take advantage of, of opposing big men on the bench and get some points in, in the post but as we saw against the Rockets I mean there was that funny clip when uh Harden had embarrassed him in the pick and roll and and uh, Billy Donovan turns to Mo Cheeks and just says can't play Cantor um, because he couldn't play. You can't play Cantor um, against teams that go small and use the pick and roll a lot like a team like the Rockets do with James Harden so maybe we're already at the point where Cantor can't play in the playoffs but you know, I think that for the regular season, I think in, you know, in terms of having a backup big that can get you some points in the post, you know, that can be pretty important for the regular season but again he, he might be done for playoff time but all right, we're going back again to the Timberwolves. We had mentioned that they made other signings. Um, their two other significant signings were Jeff Teague and Taj Gibson. Um, I'm not a huge fan of the Teague signing. They traded away Rubio and they signed Teague, who's I think three years older and he's getting more money. I think it was three years, 57 was the contract or something like that. But I guess he does provide more shooting than Rubio, even though it's not. he's not like a knockdown shooter, so I wouldn't go crazy about his shooting that he adds to the Timberwolves. Um, so I'm not a huge fan of that Teague signing. I'm, I'm a pretty good big fan, I guess, of the Gibson signing, mainly because they help out defensively and on the boards, and he's a pretty good veteran leader and teammate. And obviously, he and Butler are both experienced playing under Tom Thibodeau, which is a big adjustment period, as we saw last year, for those young guys. So, having two guys who have played with Thibodeau who can still contribute, especially defensively, will be big. Um, but as we talked about before, I think, especially Gibson, if he starts at power forward, that can really cramp the Timberwolves spacing, and they don't really have much spacing to begin with, with those with this lineup and starting lineup of a, of a Teague, Wiggins, Butler... Maybe Gibson and, and Towns. Um, so, what are your what are your thoughts on these two signings as it pertains to the Wolves?
0: Yeah, you're kind of in my head on this one because uh, Jeff Teague just does not do anything for me. From and for me personally, I would have rather had Rubio because Rubio is so transcendent. He's he's it, even in lineups where you don't have great spacing, his passing ability opens up lanes, and that's not who Jeff Teague is. Jeff Teague is uh, a guy who sort of is ball dominant. He can spread. The the ball around, but he only averaged well, okay, he averaged seven assists last year. So I'll give him that. But like normally he's in like the five-six range, which is not great for a guy you want playing the one. Um I don't love this signing. I, I don't think it adds a ton of spacing. I don't think it does a ton for Minnesota. And I probably would have rather had Ricky Rubio, but Tibbs is a lot smarter than I am, so obviously he knows something I don't. Uh but when it comes to Gibson, yeah, I'm with you. The Gibson brings a lot of things. He brings veteran leadership for your young forwards. He brings defensive presence, and he just brings that that gutsiness that you're going to need to win games in the the loaded Western Conference.
1: Yeah, I think that adding a guy like Gibson and, and Butler are just two pieces that help out defensively. Another year for those young guys under Thibodeau could help, should help defensively and with their growth as well. So this Timberwolves team, while it probably has very little spacing, little to no spacing at all, um, will be one of those teams you just don't want to play. You know they'll, they'll beat you up. They'll be physical. They'll be tough defensively. And that, that's how they win a lot of their games, I think. Um, but I'm in agreement with you. I'm not a huge fan of the Teague signing, but I do like the Taj Gibson signing. The final team I want to talk about is the Kings because I think they had a really interesting offseason some people hate their offseason some people like it I've kind of went back and forth I think I'm ultimately on the side that I do like their off-season um, they signed George Hill to a three-year deal they signed Zach Randolph to a two-year deal and they signed Vince Carter to a one-year deal so they did take two of those Grizzlies um, in Randolph and Carter um, but the thing with the Kings is you know they're pretty open about building a good culture and I think that adding Hill Randolph and Carter who are two or three of the most respected players Teammates and veterans in this league is a great way to do that, especially for a guy like Hill to influence the Aaron Fox, their you know, their future franchise cornerstone. They hope. Um I guess my question with the Kings is, for you, is if if you like their offseason. And and my question personally is, I wonder how many minutes that these guys, these veterans are going to get. Because George Hill went healthy. He's still a really good point guard in this league. Um, Zach Randolph can still help out a little bit. We saw Vince Carter, even as he's 40 years old, is still a decent role player off the bench. So it'll be interesting to see how many minutes these guys get. Um, Because they did get, you know, Hill got a pretty expensive contract.
0: Yeah, I, I... I'm sort of in the camp that I love the Kings offseason. Uh, they needed to change their culture 180 degrees. I mean, coming out of the DeMarcus Cousins saga, obviously DeMarcus Cousins sort of held them for ransom as an organization. They've moved away from that. And a lot of people sort of killed them on that trade. But now looking back, it looks pretty decent compared to what you can get for other superstars in this league, sort of against the Paul George and Jimmy Butler. It feels like a pretty good trade. Uh, I think Landon De'Aaron Fox is a fantastic pickup for them. I love Fox. He's got a killer instinct. He's a, he's personable. He's charming. He's everything you want in a franchise player, and you just hope that he sort of plays up to that. When it comes to the signings, though, this is where the I think one of the most brilliant things is. You added a guy like Vince Carter. You added Zach Randolph you added george hill all of whom are these high character veterans who are going to help you learn but more importantly they're also guys who aren't going to win games for you and i think the kings are sort of in a quiet tank they're not they're not going to advertise the way the process was advertised but if they can you know get two or three more uh lottery picks over the next couple of years and i know they owe one of their picks out in 2019 but if they can get a couple more uh Quality high lo- high quality lottery picks out there. There will definitely be a, the building of a good team going on because you already have Buddy Heald, you have Willie Cauley Stein, you have De'Aaron Fox, Justin Jackson, and Harry Childs. Like that's a that's pretty good that's pretty good floor for them.
1: Yeah, they have a really crazy young core that has a lot of potential. Some of them have already shown that potential, and then I think they added. I think they added the perfect veterans. I mean, they basically added a veteran at almost every position. You know, guard, wing, and big to influence the the young guys they got at every position: guard, wing, and big. So I think that I'm agreeing with you. I do ultimately like the Kings' off season. It's a very interesting way to kind of go about what they should be, they should, you know, really should be taking to make sure that their 2018 pick is really good. Um, but it's an interesting way to go about it, you know, spending money on these veterans to get them to bring in a, uh, bring in a good culture, good attitude, and influence these young guys as they are bad next year. But ultimately, this offseason could pay off huge down the road for the Kings in, in the next two to three years when their young guys are ready to take over uh, as, as the franchise leader. So, a very, very, one of the more interesting offseasons, I think, um, from the Kings. All right, let's finish our discussion of the offseason and, and free agency with a, a little bit of a winners and losers. So, you know, I've got a list in front of me of winners and losers. We've already talked about some of them, like the Rockets, Thunder, and Timberwolves. Um, ultimately, I see all those teams as winners, including the Nuggets as well. But there's some other teams that I think are winners that we haven't talked about yet. And that one of them is the Golden State Warriors. Somehow, <laughs> they had one of the better offseasons in the league. They were able to get Katie to take less, which we can talk about which allowed them to bring back their core, Andrea Godala, Sean Livingston. But then they were also able to add Omri Caspi and Nick Young. Now, Nick Young is kind of redundant. They don't really need Young, but I think Caspi is a very good signing, especially for the minimum. Um, kind of a, a floor-spacing power forward who can shoot. He's a decent defender. Um, so they, the fact that they're able to add both of those and they also brought back uh, Petrulia, I mean, the Warriors got better and they dominated the league in the playoffs last year. It's just incredible
0: that they added is Jordan Bell. Jordan Bell is my favorite addition. Uh, I've been <laughs> high on Jordan Bell. I'm getting that out there. I want everybody to know that I'm high on Jordan Bell. Uh, but uh, j- adding all these guys at this price is so fantastic. They they they're a team that just retools like obviously you've got your your Steph Curry's Clay Thompson Kevin Durant Andre Iguodala and then you just play guys around a bit and Caspi and Nick Young they're just guys who can come in and create and get buckets and it just makes it so hard for teams to keep pace with them with the Warriors when their starters are off the floor and and so I love this uh the, under, the understated part of this is, I think, is Kevin Durant taking less money because a lot of people said, you know, great teammate, which is true. All these things are true. He is a great teammate, and he, he's thinking team first, but to me, this sort of reeks of Kevin Durant remembering the James Harden trade. Uh, if you remember, Oklahoma City was up against a luxury tax. They had to do something, and obviously, they had that young core of Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden. And They moved on from Harden. And I feel like Kevin Durant taking more money here is just that sort of standing out in his memory as a watershed moment in his career. So if he can take less money, he can keep Clay Thompson in the fold, he can help you know, Steph get paid and all these things, that he can play on a better team, and I feel like that's what sort of happened uh, in Oklahoma City was that they were pushed up against it, and, and now if he takes a little bit off, it allows them the flexibility to do some of the things that they've done to maintain their dominance in the Western Conference.
1: Yeah, it's such, such a huge part of their offseason was KD taking less money, allowing them to bring back their core and add these two pieces in Caspian, Nick Young, and obviously Jordan Bell, who they just paid the Bulls the draft which again we talked about the Bulls had you know something in, very incompetent off season, but um, it's just the rich getting richer and that's the thing when you're a team that especially we haven't really seen this this is a team that's almost guaranteed to make the finals and very close to being guaranteed to, to winning the championship after what we saw them do to the Cavs last year and players will take minimums if they want to become champions I mean this is Nick Young will be the second former wizard that the, the the Warriors will probably turn into a champion if they did it to JaVale McGee last year. Um, so we got to get Gilbert Arenas back in the league to do that now. Um, but uh, so we yeah the Warriors are I think are a big winner and and you know we saw all these teams the Rockets and the Thunder um, Timberwolves and Nuggets all added significant pieces but then the Warriors added these smaller minor pieces that will just continue to to continue their dominance um, over the West and over the league over the next couple of years. Now, let's go back to the Eastern Conference for another winner that I have. I have the 76ers as a winner. Obviously, they made that blockbuster trade to move up to get Markel Fultz, and I think is a very good fit alongside Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid for that young trio, I guess. Um, but they also got J.J. Redick and Amir Johnson on good one-year deals. I think Redick is a perfect shooting guard who adds so much floor spacing. We actually posted um, our 76ers team offseason review on the 94-feet report today, and a really great break- breakdown from one of our writers on how much um, – floor spacing and, and, and contributions that Reddit can provide. Um, and then Amir Johnson is just a good veteran, um, big, who can rebound, help out some, somewhat defensively. A good presence there. Um, again, both being on one-year deals is huge because it still keeps their cap space open for 2018 when the 76ers will probably be truly ready to compete. Um, but they can still contribute this year and obviously, you know, building that young core, adding folds to kind of complete the process, I guess you call it, um, is another great move for the Sixers. So I have them as winners this summer.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, when you can move up to take a consensus number one, you do that. And they did that. They got their guy. And, and it feels like Ball, Tatum, Jackson were sort of weird fits for them. So giving up something to get into number one, to take a guy that was their best fit player, uh, is a really good move. I really like the 76ers and what they've done. I like Ed Redick. I like Adamir Johnson. But also, I'm not ready to for the coronation just yet. Uh, I sort of stand by skeptically uh, people saying, yeah, they I mean, they've got this great young core, but also they need Joel Embiid to be on the floor more than 31 games in a season. And there's just no evidence that that can happen. And I, and I'm not saying it won't happen. I'm just saying that if you're looking at past performance, which doesn't guarantee future returns, but if you're looking at past performance, there's no guarantee that Joel Embiid's going to be on the floor. And he becomes such a pivotal piece to the success of this team that uh, a team with Markel Fultz, Ben Simmons, and J.J. Reddick is a pretty good team, but a team with those three guys plus Joel Embiid is a really good team, and I feel like that that there's such a difference for them uh, in terms of what they can do with Embiid on the floor versus w- without him on the floor that I feel like that I'm not quite ready to have the coronation ceremony for the process just yet until I can see that Joel Embiid can play a season, a healthy season.
1: Yeah, and that's that's the most important factor I think for the Sixers. Last year, when Embiid was was playing in those thirty one games, they had I, I think they had like the number one ranked defense in the minutes he played. Um, and then when he wasn't playing, they had like the twenty eighth ranked defense. So such a huge drop off. But if you, yeah, like you said, I'm not really ready to coordinate them. I'm definitely not ready to pick them for the playoffs. But if you can tell me, if you told me that Joel Embiid will play sixty five games, I would I would feel fairly, and Ben Simmons would also play because he also has, you know, he has an injury history now and big men with with foot injuries is not something you ever want. Um, But if you would tell me that both of those guys would play at least 65 games and the rest of their core would play, you know, normal like 75 to 80 games, I would maybe pick them for an AC just because of how weak the Eastern Conference is. We we know the Pacers and the Bulls, well, definitely the Bulls are out of the playoffs. Pacers could also drop out too. Um, You know, teams above um, the Sixers didn't get that much better. I mean, the Knicks did not really get better. The Magic uh, didn't get better if they finished, I think, the same record or something like that. But I would be somewhat comfortable in picking the Sixers to make the playoffs if you could somehow guarantee me that both Embiid and Simmons would play at least 65 games. But again, as you said, there really is no indication that that can happen yet, so we have to wait and see. But I think that's why these one-year deals are so important because they're going to open up money for 2018, which is when their core will be another year older, another year playing together, probably a nice good culture with Redick and, and Amir Johnson as veteran presence so that's when i think they're ready to really strike for you know a top six top five playoff seed in 2018 yeah
0: this is the classic scenario of you're building you you want playoff experience for the guys that's why they signed reddick that's why they signed amir johnson they want a seven seed or an eight seed because the you start to temper guys like fultz like simmons like Embiid. you want them to have that playoff experience
1: yeah that's a huge thing so before we get into uh, to losers do you have any other winners on your list
0: uh, I mean, yeah, not not nothing really transcendent. I feel like the Celtics are big winners, adding Gordon Hayward. Uh, I really feel like the Hawks are kind of winners, and, and I know that's going to be weird to say, but the Hawks passing on Paul Millsap I think is really smart, and I know a lot of people lampooned him for that decision, but uh, they passed on offering Paul Millsap, and it let them sort of switch gears into this rebuilding mode, and I feel like they're going to be a team that is going to bottom out through the year. Plus, they picked up a, a guy that I really like in John Collins, so I feel like they're winners uh, in that they got their game plan moving. They they weren't indecisive about it, uh, so I really put them in my winners column as well.
1: I, I can see that, and I, I forgot to mention the Hawks is a team that would probably drop out, so that's another open playoff spot in the East, in the wide open Eastern Conference that saw. Three to four stars move to the West, which is just insane. But let's turn our a attention team, a, team
0: get in, a team will get in with thirty eight wins. Like that I'm saying that right now. A team oh, will get in the playoffs with thirty eight. Yeah,
1: I'm very I'm very comfortable in, in saying that. And meanwhile a team in, with fifty wins in the West could miss the playoffs. So that, that's how crazy it could be. Um, but let's turn our attention to some losers. I've got a couple. I'm gonna start with the Knicks. Um, I I'm actually a big Tim Hardaway Junior fan, but I'm not a big enough fan to le- to even get close to liking that that deal. I like the I'm Knicks
0: $72 million Tim <laughs> Jr.
1: fan? Yeah, no. Um, the rumor was that the Hawks would be willing to do four years 48. And I think that other teams were were thinking that's a reasonable deal. And then all of a sudden the Knicks come here with four years I think it was 71 or 72. Okay, 70, okay, yeah. I think it's 71 but they come with 71 over four years. Over 22 or 23 million more than the Hawks and most other teams were willing to do. We had reports that other front offices were laughing at this contract. And the thing is that I feel, almost feel bad for Hardaway Jr. I mean, I don't feel bad for him because he's making so much money, but just like the, he's always going to be looked down upon now because he's never going to live up to that contract. He's a fine player. He had a breakout year last year. I think he averaged like 14 and a half points per game. He's an explosive scorer who can somehow sometimes just take over games offensively. He has to improve defensively. He's 24. I like the Knicks signing him. Like, I like the Knicks signing him. I just If it was, like, for the four years 48, I would love this signing. But because it's four years 71 and you add it to the other bad contracts, they have, like, Joakim Noah. It's just another dumbfounding signing from the knicks they gave ron baker i think almost nine million over two years for someone who you know isn't not good um and then they got this carmelo anthony fiasco which is partly due to blame of phil jackson and he's gone but he did publicly bash carmelo and the ownership and everyone else kind of didn't say anything about it and now it's gonna force him to trade Melo, which they're probably fine with in the end but just this fiasco just this drama and this unneeded attention from the knicks puts them as a loser for me
0: Oh, yeah, 100% agree. It's just a comedy of errors. Everything the Knicks do, do uh, it, they, they have the opposite of the Midas touch. I mean, this Tim Hardaway deal, I saw this crazy thing on Twitter that Tim Hardaway is going to make more money in this deal than his dad did in his entire NBA career, <laughs> and his dad was like an all-star caliber player. Yeah. So I thought that was funny. But um, they've alienated Porzingis. Uh, they've alienated Carmelo Anthony. Uh, they've overpaid Tim Hardaway. Everything they've done has just been awful this season. And they're probably a team that needs to do a full rebuild around Porzingis, and they just don't look like they're committed to doing that. So it's just bizarre. Everything the Knicks does it is it, just bizarre to me.
1: Yeah, at least we can thank the Knicks for, for providing endless drama and, and storylines for the NBA fans. But another, lose, another losing offseason for the Knicks. Uh, my other losing uh, losing team is in the same division. I got the Raptors as a loser. Um, I think because they did add CJ Miles and they were able to bring back Kyle Lowry and Serge Ibaka. And especially Lowry, they didn't have to give him a, a, a full max. They gave him three years instead of, I think it would be five was his potential max. Um, and they got Ibaka for, I think, three years, 65. It's fine to bring those players back, but they did lose Tucker and Patterson. I think that those are two big, depth pieces and also two big defensive pieces for the Raptors and they added CJ Miles, but he's not a very good defender he's a good shooter which they do need some floor spacing but I think they lost some depth and some defense in Tucker and Patterson and they got some young guys that are ready to contribute but obviously haven't been tested for a full regular season against heavy you know heavy minutes so I think the Raptors are slight losers in an Eastern Conference where the Celtics got better um and the Cavs are still the Cavs
0: Yeah, I don't love... I mean, the Raptors got swept out of the playoffs last year, and they didn't really change anything. Uh, Maybe they're okay with being a 50-win team, because that's probably what they're going to be. But there's nothing that's exciting about this Raptors roster. Like, obviously, we know what Lowry and DeRozan bring to the table, uh, and it's not quite enough to compete with Cleveland, and it's not quite enough even probably to compete with Boston now. And I, I don't love... Anything that the Raptors are doing. I I feel like at some point, and maybe they're going to, maybe this is a controlled rebuild. Maybe they're going to look to move guys at the deadline if it starts to not work out or it doesn't work the way they want to. So maybe they just wanted to control their own destiny with guys like Kyle Lowry. Uh, But I'll be interested to see because there's nothing, there's no way to sell this as we're competitive in the Eastern Conference against the Cleveland Cavaliers to your fan base. So I'll be interested to see what it is that they're trying to achieve with this core.
1: Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see what happens, especially, you know, Lowry can have some injury issues, and that team, you know, could struggle and be kind of not a 50 win team, maybe mid 40s, and that would, you know, put them potentially in the middle of the Eastern Conference playoffs and maybe get them eliminated early in the playoffs. They haven't had much playoff success, especially from guys like Lowry and DeRozan, so it's interesting to see the Raptors basically bringing back the, the core or the, the same crew, except losing a little bit of depth and, and losing de- some defensive pieces. Another team. I think I have a slight losers again, are the Wizards. Because I mean, they ultimately... You know, it's basically the same team. But they did ultimately, I think, get slightly worse. They lost Bogdanovich. Um, they did add a guy like Jody Meeks. But, you know, I don't think Meeks is as good as Bogdanovich is at this point. Uh, and now, you know, the Porter contract really puts, puts them stuck. Because they're going to be really cramped financially due to this Porter contract. But then again, they really couldn't just let him go for nothing. And that's the problem that they were facing with Porter. Now he gets four years, $106 million, which is absolutely insane, but obviously it restricted free agents, so other teams set the market, and the Nets were the ones who did that to the Wizards, so I think the Wizards got slightly worse now and also in the long term in terms of financials.
0: Yeah, the big loser, the big thing that makes them a loser for me is that John Wall hasn't Signed his designated yeah. player contract. Like he hasn't signed that extension. Uh, and that sort of is alarming to me. Uh, and maybe he's going to do it the next couple of days. There have been rumblings that maybe he's going to do it. Ted Leonosis seems to think that he's going to do it. Uh, but that's what's troublesome to me is like you have this core, you have Bradley Beal, you have Otto Porter, uh, you got Markeith Morris, you got were taught like that's a, that's the team that they had last year their bench was really thin and that ended up costing them some games against the Celtics in a series that went seven uh, but I don't see a lot of improvement and the scary part of that is that John Wall may take his talents elsewhere uh, because the Wizards have no flexibility and they can't add key pieces to improve
1: yeah that, I would be really worried especially if Wall doesn't assign this extension I would be very very worried if I'm a Wizards fan and if I'm, a, if I'm in the Wizards front office as well and um, and another loser I have are the Portland Trail Blazers. I mentioned them before when we were talking about the Nuggets, you know, jumping up into the playoff spot. You know, I mentioned that the Blazers really had no money to make any moves. They were just financially strapped. They didn't make any moves. Now they obviously they're trying to get into a Carmelo Anthony sweepstakes, but you know, all reports are is that he wouldn't waive his no trade clause to join them. And even if he did join them. You know That wouldn't push them up that much like it would for a team maybe like the Rockets. But the fact that the Blazers, who in an offseason where so many teams, especially the Nuggets and Wolves who were below them last year, got better. Um, and teams above them got significantly better. The fact that they couldn't make any moves, I, ha- I have them as a loser. In the, in the bloodbath that will be a, the Western Conference next year.
0: Yeah, I totally agree with you. They had so much money going to the last free agency, and they spent all that money on guys who are either – number five starters or number six on the bench like they just didn't improve all that much and they spent a ton of money and they locked up their cap and the Blazers are just stuck and I feel like that's a pretty terrible place to be I mean granted they add Nurkic uh, and I think that once they get a full season with him they're going to be fun to watch but yeah the, the with the rest of the Western Conference moving so far forward it feels like them staying in place is a big loss for them
1: Exactly. Just staying in place. I mean, and maybe in other off-seasons, staying in place is fine, but not this off-season. When the Western Conference got this much better, both teams ahead of them and below them got better. Um, do you have any other losers on your list?
0: I mean, obviously, you got to say Chicago's a loser. Uh, oh, they yeah. just have not <laughs> been... Uh, a- apt as a front office because the the uh the Jimmy Butler trade was awful uh I don't think that Lowry Markin ends a very good player uh so Chicago definitely ends up in there and I also think Utah but it's not really their fault I mean just losing out on the Gordon Hayward sweepstakes uh is going to be bad for them now they added a really interesting piece in Donovan Mitchell who I will be very very interested to watch but uh I feel like they probably lost out by losing their all-star
1: yeah and I think that the Jazz you know they added Rubio who I think could help um and is younger than George Hill. Um, they did be able to sign guys like Seth um, They re-signed Joe Ingles. So, you know, this team is going to be worse, but I think it's still due to the coaching. Um, and now, oh, yeah. b- Quinn I thank you. I was area. blanking on his name. <laughs> I was just blanking on his name somehow. I think the combination of Snyder's coaching and just, you know, how well they are defensively will still put them in the playoffs that's just you know my take I'm just really big on Quinn Snyder and you know how, his te- how he's developed his team so far and obviously Rudy Gobert is an incredible defensive piece and one of the best big men in, in the league I think um, so I, I would put them as a loser I think I would put them as a slight loser just because they did you know they yeah. did end up losing their all-star and of course it was a very cringe-worthy way on July 4th when he announced it and then took it back and announced it again but those are just some winners and losers and you had mentioned Donovan Mitchell I want to talk briefly about summer league impressions Um I have not watched all that much Summer League I have been watching a lot of the, the highlight clips on YouTube which are very convenient but I want to ask you some guys who impressed you the most because guys as you mentioned Donovan Mitchell was really impressive I think Troy Williams on the Rockets was really impressive Kyle Kuzma on the Lakers obviously Dennis Smith Jr. was really really impressive who were some guys that impressed you the most the Summer League
0: I mean, you did a pretty good list. That's a that's a pretty good list of the guys who have impressed me. I will throw on top of that Lonzo Ball. Uh, I've been a big Lonzo Ball advocate since the draft process for a long time. Uh, I think he's a guy who makes his teammates better. Obviously, Kuzma benefited from that in in summer league. Like, not to take away from what Kuzma did as a player, but he definitely benefited from Lonzo Ball. Uh, I'm really pleased with Lonzo Ball, and I hate saying that. Let me make a point in saying I hate saying that because he's a Laker, and I'm a huge Celtics fan. I don't want the Lakers to succeed ever, but uh, begrudgingly, I have to say that uh, Lonzo Ball has just been phenomenally impressive to me, and I can't wait to see what... Uh, when he's playing at that high-level competition, when he sort of has that target on his back that LeVar's put on there with all the talk. I'll be interested to see how he rises to the occasion, but he's definitely been impressive to me. Uh, Another guy that I was really impressed with uh, was Jason Tatum, because Mm -hmm. Tatum didn't show anything that we didn't expect, but the things that we did expect came in such a high degree. He's got fantastic footwork. He's a guy who can create his own shot, Uh, and I think he's a guy who's going to fit in well with the Celtics culture. So those are two guys that weren't on your list. Obviously, Mitchell, crazy, impressive, phenomenally athletic, just a guy who was going to be a real joy to watch. And then Kuzma's probably going to fight for rotation minutes. I mean, it, it, I feel like a lot of guys really did well with their stock, their draft stock, going into the regular season.
1: Yeah, it was it was an impressive summer league for a lot of players. Of course, on the other hand, there are obviously always some disappointments. Just me being a Rockets fan, I'll tell you, Chinano Onowaka was very very disappointing for me he looked like he didn't improve at all and this is going to be his second year um, in the league and he looked like he couldn't defend the rim he didn't look like he got any bigger um, his rotations and mobility defensively was just not impressive at all and, and not what you want to expect you know they wanted, they were thinking that you know they just signed Tariq Black uh, last week and he'll be the third center but I think deep down you know but, probably when the offseason started, I think that the Rockets front office was deep down hoping that Onowaku could be that third center for when Nene is resting. I think they saw that Summer League performances, and they either realized that the, you know a guy like Tariq Black's out there for a cheap contract, and they might as well do it because he's proven and can and handle the minutes. Um, but I think that deep down they were hoping for more from Onowaku, so he's been probably the biggest disappointment for me, you know, being a Rockets fan.
0: My biggest disappointments are Markel Fultz, Malik Monk, Harry Giles, all these guys. I was excited. I love Summer League. I get locked into Summer League every year, and I spend like a week doing nothing but watching basketball. And just to not get to see Fultz beyond just a couple of games, to not get to see – I really wanted to see Brandon Ingram and and to not see Harry Giles or – Malik Monk at all. That's that's my biggest disappointment because I really want to see the tools that these guys have because they have such interesting skill sets, particularly when in regards to Malik Monk. Um, and so those are my big disappointments. Beyond obviously, and I hate to say that even say this, but I beat on this guy like Markkinen was just not impressive to me
1: yeah yeah and it was really disappointing I, I'm really big on the Malik Monk drafting for the Hornets I think he's perfect for what they need in terms of shooting and creating um it was really disappointing not to see a bunch of those guys there and you know, Markkanen really I mean I feel bad for Markkanen now because he'll always be kind of you know him and Dunn and Levine I, mean, I feel bad for Levine now that he's going back to Chicago and you know the team that's gonna be really really bad and people are gonna kind of put him as the face of the return for Jimmy Butler but yeah just another bad offseason for the Bulls another interesting and captivating summer league and summer league is getting a lot more popular now we saw that the ratings were up on espn you know the social media engagement for summer league was really um big now and obviously some of that's due to the a really great draft class which you don't get every year but just another fascinating summer league and really another incredibly fascinating off season so i want to thank you alex for joining us um before we go why don't you throw out where everyone can find your work and where they can find you on social media
0: uh, you can follow the podcast uh, at n one analytics on Twitter. You can follow me personally. My handle is the underscore Alex underscore West uh, and make sure and read, you know, all the things that I'm doing on the 94 feet report. I'm getting ready to have a, a Charlotte Hornets piece on the off season review. And so uh, find the podcast at the 94 feet report. There's just all kinds of places that you can follow me.
1: Yeah. So everyone make sure to check out, alex and the podcast and make sure to follow me on twitter at eric Spiros, and follow our website on twitter at the 94 feet report and make sure to stay tuned for our uh team offseason review series we, we post a new team every day so uh thank you guys for listening to this off season review slash free agent summer league impressions um and uh, take care and have a great weekend thanks
0: lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky
1: lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office